Ladies and gentlemen, service information from Southern Control. The central line is suspended between Newbury Park and Leytonstone due to a customer incident at Redbridge and Redbridge Station is closed. There are minor delays on the rest of the central line. All other London Underground lines are running to a good service. piano playing in Angel Tube Station. The music just stuck in my ear. Once I recorded it, I found myself listening to it over and over. It was the soft sound and the hard environment. Gentle music leaking into the tunnels, slipping onto packed carriages where every day I travel beside all the world and thousands of Irish. Hard jobs, soft voices. And you tell me he was coming over, like, and what the chances were to get a bit of accommodation. If you jump off at any stop on the Transport for London network, you're going to find an Irish story. In this city of more than 8 million people, there's close to 200,000. They travel to work and socialise across lines with names like District, Circle and Victoria. Only in this programme, I'm on the Green Line, an imaginary thread of transport bringing me to some of those working jobs typically associated with the Irish in London. The outdoor worker, builders and technicians from Galway. We're always kept busy, like the weekends are fully booked, you know. And from Sligo, retired labourers. Winkle pickers, slimline jeans, oh my. There's also a boxer from Donegal I want to meet. All cut up and, you know, busted up and a singer from Antrim. I'm here, I'm here. Most of these Irish have recently got a start. Some are finishing up and, sadly, one died before the programme was even finished. This person was easily among the most impressive people I've met in London and the one interviewee really looking forward to hearing the programme go out on RTE radio. Hearing how the Irish experience has changed in London, how we work, how we live, how often we go home. The next stop is Lewisham, where this train will terminate. All trains. Lewisham. It's the last stop in the Docklands Light Railway, but the first stop on my journey along this notional green line. This is Lewisham. When you come out of Lewisham Station, swing a left. Walk under the bridge and you'll see Maggie's Cafe. Landmark breakfast stop and a pit stop that only became permanent for four people who just ended up here by chance. You might meet these 30-somethings if you pop in on a Saturday morning. I'm a rather Shoshana, two of them, you know. Pori Kernan, Val Feeney, 
Morgan Mannion and Seamus Keane. The motto of the borough states that the welfare of the people is the first great law. And this Cavan Run Café has been following that law to the letter. Just by chance, I was sitting outside the restaurant and... A black cab pulled up. The window went down and an Irish voice called out from the back of the car. And they asked, did I know of any accommodation? Anywhere at all where they could stay. I said, yeah, if you want to share one, then we have a room coming up. So they said, yeah, they're quite happy with that to share. I said, again, put another single bed in. Sure, the lads only asked the driver to stop because of the name over the door. That and the green sign. They thought it might be an Irish place and now they're here eating dinner as you could climb. To be honest with you, we owe her a lot. Like, you know, she looked after us like, you know, like she's our mother, like, you know, and she, you know, there's big feed, boiled bacon and cabbage there, like you're back home in the west of Ireland there every evening. Or if you don't eat your dinner, you get told off. And, <laughs> yeah. and you have to have dessert. And... Well, see, she spent years here in London, like, so she'd put you on the right track. Mm. What would you tell them now if they landed? Where there's muck, there's luck. And you can't beat the English. They are very nice people. I could never run the English down because they've given us so much work and I think they're terrific. <laughs> we all went to the same school. Morgan went to Cashel School, but he came down to the same secondary school in Karna. So, yeah, we all played football together with the same team, Karna Cashel. When he came back from Australia, he gave me a call, like, and I hadn't spoken to Seamus for, for, for a good few years, and he owned got the phone call and he was telling me he was coming over like and uh, what the chances were to get a bit of accommodation I said I said no problem like you know slowly but surely Seamus came over and uh, next thing Val came over and next thing Morgan came over like you know I was working days and Seamus was working nights so he stayed with me in the, in the same room for a couple of months there somewhere else which is I wasn't allowed <laughs> by Porrick or by Maggie Maggie say oh stay there now she goes there'll be someone moving out shortly and Within I've had three or four months, someone moved out, right? And I just, I'm in the room ever since. When Val first came over, like, I was a foreman and uh, Val was all working with myself, like, two of us were working together, and so it was mighty, like, you know. Mayfair, you know, you never think we'd be speaking the Gaelic to one another, like, in the most posh spot in London, like, you know. It was Val that got me to start with the company he actually works with. It was purely by chance. He rang me Tuesday or Wednesday and said, there's a start here next Monday for you if you want it. I was over by the Saturday, Sunday and started on the following Monday. I've been working with the same company ever since. <laughs> They're not married yet. Children, not in London. Due to engineering work, there is no Northern Lights. They don't expect to reach that stage of life here. There's another bunch who didn't mean to marry or settle here either. Take the train to the other side of the city through artery stations like Waterloo and Clapham Junction. What do you reckon, Especially reserved. And a similar conversation has taken place in the Spread Eagle pub, Wandsworth Town, just off the High Street. I'll tell you what. Should have brought that photo down. You want to see that photo up in the Gary Owen? Mick, Bernie and Seamus. Talk about black short white tie. They were just like the boys from Connemara, once. Winkle pickers. But in so many ways that 
defies the passing of the years and the march of time. Slimline as well. <laughs> Not like now. <laughs> it was the late 1950s when they left their hometown of... Ballymore and Sligo. Seamus and myself were next-door neighbours. Bernie lived the other side of the town, posh area, you know, just above with the nuns and the convent and all that, look, looking down on us, mere mortals. <laughs> I came over in 64. They wanted to see a bit, but, um, experience a bit. I said Bernie was here before me, Mickey was here before me, so... And I was his father and brother, I came over for his... He was the, he was the, the baby. The best man at his wedding, that's what I came over here for. He was the best man at Liam's wedding, and I served Mass, believe it or not. And it was a Latin mass then. And I was a little bit nervous. And I said to the priest, I'll always remember this. I said, listen, Father, I might be a little bit rusty with the Latin. Well, he says, you know that, I'll know that, the rest of them won't. <laughs> he, was, he was a nice bloke, wasn't he? And they shared beds too, once. All rooming together in George Martin's aunt's house. Daisy and Alice Martin. That's the fella who produced you know. the Beatles. And he was quite a nice chap. I met him a few times. And he used to come down, he had a, an old cream-coloured Rolls-Royce. Then when the Beatles took off, he took off, because i seen him turn up one Saturday, beautiful, big, black, shiny Rolls-Royce. He was making money, I'm telling you. But they were two great old girls. When, when Liam came down, I got him digs. Slept in the same bed. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Oh, sorry, Seamus, I shouldn't give away that secret. The same, the same room. <laughs> they, were, they were really good to us, weren't they? About two months so that I stayed there. Yeah. Um, you, you, then um, I moved in with my lover here. He went across the river then. <laughs> there was three of us there on and off, wasn't there? Who was the other one? Oh, what you call him, that mad Irish bloke that used to dye his hair black. He used to work with us in the steelworks, didn't he? But I think uh, Mick and Liam missed their chance when they were them two old ladies. They should have married the two of them. Could have, you mean, you could have been rich blokes now. I mean, uh, we shared things for a while, I mean, for a few a couple of years or something like that. I mean, and then we sort of met girls and went their own ways and got married and different things in life, you know what I mean? As life is. One after another they left, but the funny thing is they've never left each other. Now they meet in the spread, as they call it, with its high roof and airy atmosphere to talk about everything and anything. Daisy would get on the piano of a Saturday morning and she could play it all right. She was quite a good... Sometimes you can just hear the hint of a Cockney accent. Give her another sherry, eh, she'd go to town. <laughs> then her nephew might arrive and we'd have to bail out. The house is gone, now it's supposed to be knocked down. Yeah, the house yeah, is gone, it's part of the, the, um, the telephone exchange. It was number three, number three, Mayfield Road. Change here for the Bakerloo line. This is a Piccadilly line service to Greenpark. It's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. Ask Keel to Higgins, a 24-year-old barmaid with red hair from County Antrim and big dreams. There's still Irish people around, but not as many. She hears similar stories. How London has changed for the Irish. The jobs they do, more white-collar now than blue. And <laughs> what they get up to. I move around Kilburn. I've lived in Hampstead, Kilburn, Wilson. She can see it too, especially in some of the old Irish heartlands like Cricklewood Broadway, north of the River Thames, where thousands of Irish people came to make it. Where thousands of new migrants from countries in North Africa live side by side with an Irish community that's growing older. I like Cricklewood, like, it's just, it doesn't feel a part of London. She's trying to make it. 
as a singer? I was studying music for two years and I just seen on the internet that there was a school over here at college doing what I wanted to do and I applied for them and got in and did a course and then I'm now doing the degree on... Sure, it's like being a joiner, she says. You have to learn your craft. You have to put up with the old boys slagging you too. And this is our band, Ian and Frankie. And they're from home as well. Rehearsing tonight in the Institute of Music just off the Kilburn High Road. Yeah. I was sleeping on a train down to college in Bangor. I just woke up, I heard the I'm here, I'm here. And I went in and I sang it to the guys and they were like, yeah, okay. can be tough in London. Even getting around can be tough. There must be 10 million red buses in the place and everyone fighting for the same space. Obviously, I do want to go home when I'm older and die. It's probably an awful thought for anyone to think, but I do, I don't want to be... I want to go home to my family burial ground. That's just, that's just bread through me anyway. To go back there and live... Everyone says to you, oh, how's London, how's London, how's London? And then it makes you want to go work. I didn't want to stay here three years ago. I wanted to go home back with my mum. My mother and father are very, you couldn't come back here, you know, there's nothing here for you. You're over there, you're doing stuff, you're, you're being yourself. Why don't you stay there? So I don't think there would be even a talk of even going back home. London will give you back what you put in. If you're drinking, you're, you're going to get that atmosphere. If you're doing work, you're going to just be having work. Put into it what you want back, I think. So, can we do an Alexander? You can, but. In this environment, you need an advantage, a contact, someone who can make things happen. Maybe Keelton needs a promoter, someone like Pat Kane, the man with the plan, the novice promoter from a tie who brought Brendan Shine to London in 1978 when everybody said it couldn't be done. Usually on a Saturday, you'll find Pat down in Stamford Bridge watching Chelsea. And, uh, now it's moved away from here and it's in more. But now Pat's outside Wimbledon Town Hall. This was the centre for Wimbledon administration, like, you know. As far west as you can get on the district line. But I mean, you can see the front has still remained the same as to what it used to be, which is now a Tesco metro. I suppose it's progress, is it? I'm not quite sure. Now Pat is stood outside the town hall, looking past the old pillars and into the shopping aisles. No visible Irish marks remain, but these cold stone walls, they leak warm memories. This was a great Irish place. Like As chairman of the Plunkett Club, I wanted to do something for a charity. 
And at the time, a lot of people were coming back from Ireland and talking about this big star, and he was having hit records and everything like, you know. And the guy's name at the time was Brendan Shine. And uh, I put it at the committee that I was thinking of booking this fella for the night. And they said, no, it'll never work, you know, you'll never sell enough tickets. And um, we booked him, and within the first week of the advert coming out, we had almost covered the whole expenses... And on the night of the due, we had to fight them off because they wanted double money to pay to come in. And, of course, we had to have a limit on the number of people. They were swinging out at the rafters. And it was a sensational night. Bust in as far away as Southampton. Irish everywhere. Dressed in their best suits. Lots of them bought from John Collier to 50 Bob Taylor up the road. It still brings back, a, you know, fond memories standing outside of here. I can think of the people and the night we had here... And I can see fellas coming, begging to get in, like, you know. Yeah, the Irish scene was vibrant then. Rich with performers and show bands who crossed the Irish Sea then crisscrossed the same rail network to chase big money in places like Newcross and Cricklewood and Hammersmith. The pubs were full of Irish then, full of people like Pat Kane and Bernie and Mick and Seamus. I think we were on, uh, I don't know, was it a 14 bus, the old Routemaster, you know, the one with the platform. Back in the Spread Eagle in Wandsworth now, telling stories. And to him, one minute I'm talking to him, then I turn around, he's outside on the gutter, he fell off. I realised the bus was going so fast, so I stepped off and next thing I wrapped around the rails. <laughs> I was lucky. If I'd been sober, I'd probably have killed myself. If I'd been drunk, I didn't try and save myself. You know, I just... So he stopped the bus and jumped off and went back to him. And uh, first thing he said was, "Ah, oh, Jesus, he says, my nose is big enough, but look at it now. <laughs> when you see the Irish, younger Irish coming over here now and you meet them, do you, can you relate to them? In a sense, yeah, but they're, they're better educated than... Yeah, not, not their fault, they're better educated than we were, but that was our fault for not learning things at school, you know what I mean, in some ways, you know what I mean? So you can't fault them for coming over looking for good jobs. You know, they're all coming over for sort of office jobs and management jobs and... Yeah, but not like, like we were factory workers or whatever. You're working Air for a wage. Pilots. Yeah. <laughs> Wish we'll think it. We've all progressed up to the ladder, you know, and if they ever held a grudge, they, they mightn't do that, you know, but that, that day is long gone, you know. We've all progressed right up to the ladder quite easily, you know. If you're, hard, if you're willing to work hard here, you'll, you'll do good. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll reap the rewards, you know. Back in Maggie's, the young Connemara men may be confident that you can do well in London. But you have to start somewhere. And Maggie has come across plenty who start with shaky. One man she had to give £25 to. £25, he could eat something. And then he moved away. Things were still hard for him. But then he said, I found myself a better job. 20 years later, I'd forgotten about the money. And he paid me £25. But now he's not the only one. Many a one does that. And they come back and say, well, I'm doing better for myself. Here's the money. The way I look at it, I, yeah, maybe the gods don't pay me, but the majority of people come back and pay us. She started work in London, in a hotel. There I met my husband, who was a manager of Trust House 40. And we fell in love 45 years ago. And we got married. He was dark and I was white. He was from India then, but he's now Bangladesh. And remembers her mother's joke when she got married. 
But Mother always said to me, as long as you wasn't a Protestant, I don't mind. He had a good idea about the catering, how to buy and sell. And I was the waitress. I was good at chatting people up. He was the one that was laid back, but knew how to do the books. And um, he still does the books for the cafe and does the shopping, buying and selling. He knows how to do it. How many kids do you have? I have two boys, one Anthony, Oliver, and my daughter is Fiona. Saturday may be the day for the Connemara boys to meet up in Maggie's, but Sunday is special too. We don't open here on Sunday at Maggie's because we keep it for the family day on a Sunday that we can all meet up and talk. So we all meet the family on a Sunday. A routine like that is the glue that holds people together in London. Take the older men in the Spread Eagle pub. They've been meeting every week since they left Ireland, and that's nearly 60 years ago now. And they've never had a falling out. Well, almost never. Maybe a few words, but now not a fall, no, really. I remember Liam in the, in the 60s hit me in the pub and said, well, Bush one. <laughs> I think you deserved it. The funny thing about it was, he said to me, here, hold my glass. So I held his glass and he hit Bernie. <laughs> that was hilarious. Pop Bernie on the chin. <laughs> Bernie took that punch on the chin. It was a bit of fun, but at the next stop, there's someone who's been taking punches since he arrived. You will find him up the road from Angel Tube Station on the Northern Line. Home to Europe's longest escalator, but only a short walk to John Tandy's gym. Take a right down Upper Street, bare left of the green, and the MMA clinic is down one of those alleys that you just wouldn't find unless you're really looking for it. 29 to 30, St Albans Place. That's the address. My name is Joe Duffy. My occupation is a professional boxer. Joe Duffy from Donegal found his way to this narrow back street. A wandering journey from mixed martial arts into boxing that started on the island of Free, and now he's on the main road to greater things, he hopes. I came over when I was young. I was nine months when I came over. My daddy came over. He was fishing back in Donegal and the fishing started to slow down. So he moved over here then and he started in the tunneling. We moved to Wales at first. And then we went back for, say, six months in when it was about four. And then we came back over here to stay then. And then when I started working with Dad as well, I was working, doing more of the jobs up on top, so I wasn't doing the back-breaking labour that they were doing. You know, I see now hard them boys are working, and, you know, if anything, it probably inspired me to keep working hard with what I'm doing. Mondays generally... 10 to 15 rounds of pad work. Tuesday, run with Tony, then our strength and conditioning coach. Wednesday, I spar some drills in on the Thursday afternoon then. And then Friday again is back sparring. And then Saturday morning, then we go the sprints. And um, Sunday, I got 12 rounds of shadow then, just in my own time, really. I haven't really got much of a social life in London, to be honest. Um, on the weekends, I go up to Wolverhampton then to see my girlfriend. It's a strange city because there's so many people there, but sometimes you, you do feel like you're all alone, really. 
when I first moved up, I definitely felt that from going to see my family every day to not having much contact with people. Come on, Joss! But the gang in the gym are, you know, a great bunch as well, so it's not too bad. Everybody is chasing something or fighting for something. Either that or running away from something. And like Joe, some lives are lived from one fight to the next. When we talk about boxing in them days, that was the whole conversation. In the Scotch house in Dublin, you know, and... and Johannes won the fight from Patterson, you know. I got that drunk. I woke up in London next morning <laughs> with 30 shillings left, you know. Came to London in a blackout in 1959. So really I was on skid row before I started, you know. This is Dick Fitzgerald. Your first night in London, where did you spend it? Houston Gardens. By outside Houston Station. There's a little park, and uh, there's two little parks, and one was bricked up between, there's a road in the middle, so <coughs> there was a hole in the top of the brickwork, so I went in there, laid inside in a heap of rubbish. That was my bed. I think the next night then we went to this used air raid shelter in Camden Town, and you want to see this place. It's under the ground, and everybody that was sleeping rough were sleeping in there and I had no matches I was falling over bodies in the dark and everybody was trying to get to the far wall because the police are going to send the dogs down later on so if you're at the back they're going to get you first so we're all climbing for the front of the wall to get near to the front and that's how we were like you know and that was kind of came, came normal you know what I mean I worked in power stations and tunnels and motorways, but we had no savings. We were were known as present to willers. Live now, pay later. And we always did pay later, you know. And our fall was never very high. If we hadn't a job one in the morning, we were back on the street, you know. That's where we lived. But to me personally, it was a subcontractor that saved my life. The subbies, they call them, because I get paid every evening. I needed money every day to keep the addiction cycle fed, you know. And uh, I couldn't work in a normal job. I worked for two weeks to get a week's wages. How would I live for them two weeks? I was a good worker, right? But to just hand them out, hand them out. And I, sometimes I used to think, like, that, that if, I had, if I was born a domino, I'd be a double blank. You know, it was as bad as that. Like, cause no matter what I'd done, it was disaster. You know, and I used to think if I, if I backed the tide, it wouldn't come in. I was one of them people. No matter what you don't like, you know. Dick's cigarette smoke fades into the grey of the day. We're outside Pinterville Prison, the Caledonian Road. He is known to lots of people as the Governor of Pentonville, 
because of the amount of time he spent behind these prison walls. Doing bird, as he called it. Living under a different training regime than Joe Duffy. Well, I was already frightened of this place because in them days there was hangings here, you see. And I was looking for the dead cell and thinking, what was it like? And that was the end, like, you know. And what there was here at the time, I've done away with them now, there was dog boxes. When they came into the reception, they put you into the dog box for two hours. They're three foot by three foot. And after an hour, you think, they must have forgot about me, you know, what's this going on now? And that was part of the dehumanisation, you know. And then they took it to the clothing place, and they said, if you get anything that fits, bring it back and we'll change it for you. <laughs> they gave you trousers three times too wide for you, so they could bag race you inside, and, you know. And I had terrible hang-ups about this place because I had read a bit about Pinterville before that. In the old days there, you had to go on exercise blindfolded and you, you follow the rope around the yard, you know. This is April 2013. A few days later, I returned on a flight to London, switched on my phone and there was a message telling me Dick was gone. The man who wrestled with life on the streets died peacefully at home, sitting in his chair. There he was a week or two beforehand, standing outside the breakout cafe across the road from the prison. But he never did. Break out, that is. He was just always brought back, again and again and again, always fearing for his life. Sure, it was in here that they hung Roger Casement. There was one little fella here from Dublin, they called him the Jockey Lynch, and I thought he had it together, you see. Because when he came, they started giving discharge grants, they gave you money going out here in the village. And he'd go over to Bricklade, he'd get drunk, he'd never look for bed, he'd never look for nothing. The minute the last penny was gone, the first copper coming up Brick Lane, he threw himself in front of his boots. So he came back in here again that night. And he had it together, you know, he, he didn't have to sleep out at all. And I was kind of jealous of him, you know, I, I couldn't do nothing like that myself, you know. When you were inside here at night time, in, in the cell, it was dark and it was quiet, and you were thinking about Ireland. All what, the time, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What were you thinking about? Where did it all go wrong? It was all right in the daytime. You're OK during the day, all your mates are there. It was at night time when the doors was closed, you know. Another prisoner wrote a few lines about it, and he used to say, That's when the fears bring terrible tears to fall unseen on the floor. When you lower your guard and the brave facade crumbles behind the door. It's not weak to show emotion, I know that for a fact, but in places like this where you're supposed to be tough, it's just an unnatural act. For the days of the time of the tough guy act, and this I state my word, but late at night when the eyes can't see, that's when you do your bird. <laughs> that's when you do your porridge, when nobody sees you, you know. Yeah, because you had to put this image up, you know, the Jack the Lad image, and OK, but it wasn't OK. He used to joke that he was waltzing into extra time. He was 77. High mileage, he said, in the weeks before he passed. But for lots of other Irish stories in London, the miles are low. Things are only starting. For me, it never felt like I've immigrated because I go back and over so often. And 
I'm here with all my friends, you know, so it, for me it doesn't feel like I've immigrated at all. Whereas when I was in Australia, you're a million miles away, like, you know, and someone's always over. Yeah, Seamus' parents were over there last weekend, and I, I'm going back home next weekend, I'll probably see them back at home, you know, so it doesn't feel like we've immigrated at all. No. I didn't want to stay here three years ago, but you settle in, you find your feet, and it's grand. You, you really enjoy the independence that you have from everyone, so... Because I do want to travel the world, like, I do want to go see different places. This would probably be the place I would settle most, I think, so far. Like, it's, it is like a home away from home. Everyone does look out for you. Because it's a very small community, and everyone knows what goes on. And I find that with, with Kilburn in general. Everyone knows what you're doing or where you're at. So people look out for you. I think London's, you know, is full of so many different people these days, you know, I don't think anyone feels like an immigrant no more. Um, the world's changing, you know, big time, but I feel perfectly at home and life's good. You know, there's plenty of opportunities for work and, you know, things we probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do if we were back home. So, you know, we're, we're lucky we're here, really. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. This is Hounslow Central. This is a Piccadilly line service to Heathrow Terminals 4 and 123. Bringing up kids in London, what was it like? It was the last thing on their mind. Not bad, I mean, it's just... They never figured on it. It's like, no matter where you are, as long as you can go out and work and feed them and look after them and... Who would have thought? Not them. You got on with it, didn't you? Just take them to school and take them parties and do this, that and the other. Just All they know is that they've used a lot of their time. Time just goes, doesn't it? We're sure it just you goes. Know, they're bloody grown up and they've got boyfriends and girlfriends. And Maybe it does fall faster in London. I was the same. I, I thought I'd give this a few years. I'm sure they just got carried along by the energy of the place. You know, and I'll, I'll go back. But then... Like Dick. That's, that's like a lot of Irish people. Like everybody. One year goes, two goes, three goes, and that's it. Some months back, I was there on my own. I was waiting for Seamus to come down, and I was having a pint, and this guy comes in, white hair like myself, and I thought, I know him. And he was looking around, and the next thing went, oh, yeah, Northern Ireland lad. So I went, yeah, how are you doing? So he says, oh, not bad. I said, I haven't seen you around for a while. No, no, he said, I haven't been here for quite a while. Then he came up to me and he says, um, where's, where's all your mates? I says, they're all out in Putney Vale, the cemetery. And that is, I know it sounds sad, but true. They are. All them blokes that used to drink them days with all those guys down on that corner, Paddy's Corner, they're all gone. There's none of them left. We're, we're the old-timers now. Dick saw plenty go to Putney Vale and elsewhere. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. And Dick Fitzgerald fell down many gaps in London life. Incredibly, though, he pulled himself up out of those gaps. Not only that, he pulled others up with him. We'll hear the rest of his story in part two, as well as taking a black cab around London to hear from some of those new arrivals, who, as the Sligo man said, 
came here and found the office jobs 